0: He's amazing and he's another oddball. We just collect oddballs that, that maybe don't fit in, in your conventional team and we put them together and we make the perfect team. And um, Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chas Mostard. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know I'm going to feel more comfortable.
1: I nearly told him to calm down. In the end, I'm like, mate, you're making me
0: stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won
2: Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6:30, and 5.2 million people were
3: watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty, you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs>
0: the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars
2: and welcome to inside supercars we're on our post bathurst review of both the race and events leading up to the race it was a wonderful weekend craig you had that sort of a time
4: i did but a, gee isn't it a long weekend four days at the mountain Whilst as exciting as it is, it is really draining. And I know talking to the drivers on Saturday, they were like, and we've still got one more day to go.
2: (laughs) Anyway, the news around is uh, large news, one that uh, a few people have been surprised about, but uh, I think we should all be very pleased that Andretti is renewing his fight against the Penske organisation on another front. Andretti and Zach Brown via United Autosport, have bought into Walkinshaw's, which is great news. It'll be known as Walkinshaw and Andretti United. Fabulous news for the series to have another of those mega teams from the U.S. coming to play in our paddock.
4: Here's what Michael Andretti had to
1: say at the press conference at Bathurst. The initial contact from from, uh, Zach happened, but uh, before that, excuse me, we were... We were sort of at a, when, when Penske announced that he was going down, town <coughs> down here, he, uh, you know, we, we started to watch it and, uh, we even put a few fuelers out to see if there'd be any interest in doing some things and nothing was really happening, but, but there was interest on our side. And, and then when Zach Brown called me and said that he need to talk to this guy, Ryan, and I said, okay, you know, let's, let's get a meeting. And, uh, so Ryan came to Indy and, uh, as he said, uh, you know we sat down, and in about a half hour, you could tell we just we hit it off and and as he said, in two hours, we basically had a deal and we uh, were able to put it together because I think it, it makes a lot of sense for us with our brand, what we want to do we 're expanding it uh internationally uh, as we've done with Formula E and and uh so this was just another step for us to continue to to grow and and it was a great opportunity to get together with a great team like Walkenshaw and a great name like Walkenshaw and uh you know it uh uh it turned into a match made in heaven and, and then adding uh Zach uh to the to the mix even adds it even it makes it even better um you know Zach is 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 a great uh uh guy commercially he's raised i think more money than anybody in the sport and and to have him as a partner i think is fantastic uh and he's a good guy he's a good friend of both of ours so it, it's just uh one of those deals that just feels right and uh you know we are very excited as a team to uh be taking on this new project and uh i think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it It certainly
2: is good news to have uh, the andretti's join our it he spent the weekend in the garage with what I I
4: understand I certainly saw him there Saturday. I didn't see him Sunday. Right. All right. Well, it doesn't take effect until 2018, and that is the critical thing. It's, a, it's not for the rest of this year. It's, year. it's still Walkinshaw's owning it. It's a 2018 right. change. So
2: in the, uh, on the team front, we had a number of uh, recent moves. Perry Kappa, after five years as being in charge of the technical at uh, Kelly Racing and Nissan, Nissan Motorsports. Perry Kappa is joining DJR Team Penske next year. Wonderful chap. Um, He lives up in Queensland, commutes to uh, the Nissan team, and uh, I'm sure that they'll uh, enjoy his great work up there. On the other front, uh, we've got a a 10-year man in Chris Clark who's leaving BJR. Uh, I haven't heard what he's up to. There's a new team manager coming, an ex-Williams McLaren Manor uh, team manager the name of Peter Vale, so he'll be joining for the Gold Coast 600. Um, On the BJR news, um, one of the best pieces of news is Tim Slade's okay. He was challenged enormously with dehydration, looked like he was absolutely spent. But, Craig, you saw him leaving the track on Sunday.
4: Yeah, he said to me he was okay. But uh, I do have to say I thought that was very, very poor management, keeping him in the car that long. Remembering that he had a pit stop when he looked like he was cooked – he had a second pit stop, and then they pitted to replace him. Uh, I just thought that that was a bit too long myself. It was it was probably an hour from when we first saw how dehydrated he was becoming to when they pulled him out of the car. And um, gee, I I know I asked a few people: Does the medical have uh, the right to throw a black fag if they see a driver in that much distress? And I've been led to believe they do, and I think we should see. Uh, teams pulling a driver out when they're in that much distress. I know what a driver's like. I've I've been one. You don't want to get out of the car no matter how sick or injured you are. But at some point, someone should be making the responsible decision when you can't make it yourself.
2: Well, when you can see a black flag being a compulsory stop in pit lane for a door flapping, it seems ridiculous when a driver is known to be in that much distress that he's allowed to continue on. But the good news is that... Brad Jones Racing, while the 1,000k race wasn't a terrific result, Macaulay Jones had his first race win for the team in the Super 2 race on the Saturday. That's the first race win for Brad Jones Racing at Mount Panorama and the first Super 2 race for Macaulay, who's been in the Super 2 series for four years. Also uh, good news from the weekend was the fact that both Armourall as a sponsor of the Pole Position Award and Super Cheap, as a sponsor for the Bathurst 1000 have re-signed their long ongoing contracts that will continue in the future was fantastic they had a great race weekend and uh, are both uh, continuing their involvement in supercars which is uh, wonderful for the series and coming up after the break we'll dis- discuss with Barry Ryan his and Erebus's first Bathurst win maybe the first of a number
0: Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.
4: Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
2: Welcome to Inside Supercars, our post-Bathurst show, and we're absolutely delighted and privileged to have ripped Barry Ryan away from the very busy schedule he's got getting ready for the Gold Coast. Barry, congratulations on a wonderful, wonderful win. Yeah, thanks,
3: Tony. Um, Yeah, great to be on your program and have a chat.
2: Look, what we want to do is just go through some of the race as it folded out that we didn't see. It was a terrific broadcast. As you know, there were record television numbers uh, watching the race. They kept a big audience all day. It was a very challenging race, I imagine, because of the rain. Yeah,
3: it was. We all sort of knew from probably a week out that Sunday wasn't looking good, but when we got to the grid on Sunday morning, it was like, it might be right here, and then all of a sudden it started spitting, and it was about a five-minute board where everybody decided to put wets on, and the rest
2: was history for, what, five hours or six hours. With the exception of one car, that being the number two uh, uh, hold, uh, HSV Holden, everyone else had main drivers in. Was that your plan from the start?
3: Yeah, it was just, especially with qualifying up the front, it was just best to let um, Dave control his his effort from qualifying and and you know, set the, set the race up. And that also, I suppose, gives Luke, when he got in, some confidence that where the car was running overall, at the pace. So Luke got in going, right, I know this car's good enough. I know what pace Dave was running and he sort of could put a target straight in his head.
2: You're probably the newest Holden team to have won the race. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you, you built this car, was for this year, wasn't it? It wasn't last year. Last year you were using two Walkinshaw chassis and this is the your first new chassis? Yeah, yep, this is our first. So in that way, I regard you as the newest Holden team. You've built your own car and there you are on the grid and it is uh, the fastest Holden out there. Set the fastest lap, set the fastest qualifying or second fastest qualifying and second on the grid. I mean, just an amazing uh, job. In terms of car speed, what are the things you put it down to? Well, I think, you know, we've, we've kept it pretty simple. You
3: know, there's, there's some things on our cars that we Think are pretty special, obviously with the rules. But um, yeah, with the probably the last three or four rounds we've used nearly the same setup at every round. And it's, you know, I think consistency. The driver gets in the car, he knows what he's going to get. It's not going to be a surprise to him. You know, Alice is very smart at predicting and knowing, and with all his experience of what the car might need, we have always got a really good plan out the gate of what we need. and, Dave had a focus on what he wanted. He wanted a car that was stable. First time he drove it out the gate, he didn't want to get a scare early in the weekend, which all drivers can get a scare out there. Yeah. And we produced that straight out the gate, Dave. I think his first flying lap was down to be a 7.3, and he, and he um, went wide at the last corner, went down yeah. the escape road. So there was 7.3 pretty much out the gate, and yet come in and go, yeah, the car's still really comfortable. Well, that's when you know he's going to have a good weekend. So, um, yeah, yeah, just making the car comfortable for the driver is, is a big thing up there.
2: So uh, that was the first time you'd run the 16 tyre on this car?
3: Uh, yeah, we ran it um, as a back-to-back at Eastern Creek earlier in the year. Yep. And, yeah, we yeah. Really, I think we did a three-lap run and then we went straight to the 17 tyre. It was just purely to know what the difference was in feel for the driver. Right. So those sort of new in his it was going to be a bit less good, but, you know, like, um, did a lot of um, work on getting scientific results for the tyres, so, you know, copper tyre testing, so we had those results too, and we've got some engineers that are smart enough to for that, so we had in our head what it was going to feel like compared to the 2017 tyre, so there was consideration in that around what the setup should be or, or shouldn't be, so... Yeah, we did a fair bit of homework in knowing what,
2: what to expect, and we pretty accurate. Which also highlights one of the remarkable things for your, you know, great success was the fact that you're the best-performed team, not only a first, not only front row of the grid, but also Dale Wood brought the car home in fourth place, which is terrific. His best result in the team. Yeah, yeah,
3: definitely. Like um, Dale and Chris, you know, Chris has really, you know, proves his worth as a as a. Pretty much a main game driver, you it's know. He, yes, yeah. He stepped into this role with Dale, and he's been a massive support for that side of the garage and for Dale, and for you know just just being a level-headed guy that knows how to drive these cars it was really good for that side of the garage they've been pretty thin on results this year, and you know we really proved that there's nothing wrong with that car compared to Dave's car, which it, it's it's easy for people to say it is an old car, yeah, but they've got a podium in that car at Homebush last year, so we knew there was nothing wrong
2: with the car and it's just good the last two were probably put that to bed and Dale could just get on with it and finish the year off. I read some comments, Barry, that you had a shocking Bathurst last year and this year you went away to polish all the things, to make sure you weren't making those little uh, 1% percenters as they call nowadays, those little mistakes in the pits and all the things that, that combine to make sure you get a car that's, you know, at the front at the very last uh, part of it. What were the biggest challenges that you had to do there? I mean, you've got a very young crew. Yeah.
3: yeah it's just people management. And Now, last year, we, we had so much going on with changing manufacturers and we moved factories from Queensland to Melbourne and then moved from Moravan to Danong. By the time we got to Bathurst, we, we basically hadn't prepared. We didn't. Have time to do pit stop practice properly. Our rattle guns weren't right. Our, you know, our pit equipment wasn't up to scratch. Every session we we're trying to fix things. We weren't. We weren't ahead of the game. Where well, this year we basically allocated the test days to make sure that our pit stops were right. Our driver changes were right. The drivers were all in the workshop for a day practicing driver changes, make sure their seats are right, yeah. and all that, all those little things. They're big things, but they sound like little things. Just Made it that we got to the track, we were prepared, and you know, we weren't doing silly little things. And um, you know driver change practice on the Saturday night at Bathurst, we, we didn't need to, because we'd done it all at a workshop and had a test day. Right. So it's little things that, you know, we went home every night before 8 o'clock, you know, leading up to Sunday, because we didn't want everybody to be tired and grumpy, and you know, and lose focus.
2: So. A good number of your crew, this would have been uh, only their second bathhouse, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, well, um only really me and Alistair that have had any more than 18 months. Right. Ship, really, so, uh, Merco's, Merco's, He's only been in the country for two and a half years, so, <laughs> yeah, we're really live on supercar experience, but we've got guys now that know how Erebus and how our management want Erebus to be,
2: not what the last team wanted them to be. It can also help not knowing what you can't do and what you can just... Of course we can do it, yes. I thought
3: that was my sister Now you've just broken it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, following the Techno last year, um, being the only single card team to have won it since Cito back in 97 uh, or whatever it was No. There was the championship. No, it was the last single car team we were in Bathurst. I can't even remember who it was now, but a um, long time ago. And I know you're not a single car team, but a small team. Um, you, you, how many on, on staff are there?
3: Um, Dan and Dan on here. I think we've got 20, but that includes two part time mums that are um, they're receptionists. Right. So really 19 full time people.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, which is a small number to be running two cars.
3: And that's including you know a bookkeeper, an accountant,
2: commercial, yeah. department. PR. So on the workshop floor, we've got about eleven people, I think. I imagine that there'll be a very good end of the season party, given that you haven't got time to have one now.
3: Yeah, yeah I think Betty's she's got some very big plans, and um, yeah, we we've got some bigger plans, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, you uh, first got involved with the GT program back when at, at Erebus? I was about four
3: weeks before the Bathurst 12 in 2012. Right. Um, yeah, Ryan Madison gave me a call. Well, I was actually through Rick Kemp, who's yep. um, yeah, he's pretty well known in the GT game or Australian you know, yep. Madison. He gave me a call to the yep. Yeah, there's something of interest to you you want to come and have a chat, and yeah, it started from there. So I ended up down to Bathurst and just managing the program for them. And um, yeah, it was really good. Funny story there, I actually went in there and uh, had all the jobs that we needed people to do, and I'd never met Betty or her husband or anything, and all we standing around I said, right, we need someone to do this, this, and this. They hadn't even done pit stop practice. <laughs> so they had a race well there. And uh, I pointed to Daniel and said, what do you do, mate? And this is Betty's husband. Yes. And he oh, I'll do anything you want He said, right, you're the fiery this weekend As in for the fuel stops Yes. And he said, yeah, no problem And then I think Ryan came and He said, do you know who Daniel is? And I said, no, he's part of the team He said he wants a job So <laughs> Daniel ends up being the fire master That weekend but I suppose you know, that sort of explains That I don't care who they are And if they put their hand up So they want to do it Or teach them how to do
2: it And that's a job Yeah, indeed, indeed and, and, of course, um, uh, one of my favourite stories about motorsport was um, Burt Schneider's celebrations at Bathurst uh, when you won the talk about. Infamous phone conversation with uh, uh, Mark Webber in Monaco, wasn't it? Well, we won't repeat that uh, now, but it's a good, good story. you know. And, friends, uh, go up to Barry and ask him to tell his story. No, no, we can't tell it on air, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, Australian slang that uh, Schneider learnt that weekend and... No, look, that that was a phenomenal thing as well, and uh, quite obviously, uh, you endeared yourself to uh, Betty and her uh, her team, and have uh, uh, climbed through the ranks of uh, Erebus. Um, your your background is as a mechanic. You started out uh, originally as a as a road car mechanic. Yeah, road car mechanic. When I was sixteen, did
3: my
2: apprenticeship. Um,
3: uh, yeah, two years at a Ford dealership, and then I went to work for Peter Macro. Yep. Worked with him for a couple of years, and my passion was always racing. So I got a motorbike shop just so I could have weekends off and go racing whenever I wanted, and got the cheapest parts. And that got me through a few years before I couldn't afford it out anymore. And then yeah, I got introduced to John Faulkner, and I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a go at. Playing in motorsport and doing it professionally, and yeah, John Fulton acquired me in 1998. Yep, I remember it well, yeah. Yeah, and we only had two or three on staff, and we had to do everything, so yeah, yeah, working on Nash's car, the ex Wayne Gardner car, and all those things. Yeah, Barry. that year I was at Paul Dumbrell's first race meeting, and then Todd Kelly's first bath, first. I drove him there. Yep, yeah, long time ago, indeed,
4: <laughs> Barry. What is Betty yep. like as an owner compared to the other owners that you've worked with? Obviously, Faulkner's a character. Uh, you were at Larry's and he was a character. So what is she actually like as a team owner? Uh, they're all different.
3: Um, yeah, Betty's just... just what, you, what you see her on TV and the passion, mm-hmm. the, the pride she has in her team, that's her to a T. But you sit her around a boardroom table and you, Talking serious about long-term planning and all that, she puts her glasses on and she's got a notepad and she's like a real accomplished businesswoman. So, you know, she's she's really good. I've worked so much off her as I have JF and, and um Larry Perkins. But, yeah, Betty's but great. Like, she's yeah. got her flaws and she knows her flaws and we all have. But she doesn't pretend to be someone she's not. She's just. She just loves the sport and loves her team.
2: There can be no shadow of a doubt that she uh, is committed to making it work.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, she's got a three-year plan now. She so wants to win the championship in the next three years. So we've sort of said, "Why are you being so impatient?" <laughs> <laughs> now the other <laughs>
4: sorry, thing- so patient. we got <laughs> to be
3: more impatient.
4: Uh, Barry, the other the other thing that interests me is uh, after the meeting, everyone talked, um, well, I shouldn't say everyone, Betty and David talked about the team of misfits, the team of oddballs. How do you feel being lumped in with a team of misfits and oddballs?
3: Well, it's probably my fault. I don't know. We just wanted to get a bunch of people that they didn't have to have much experience in motorsport. There's, yeah, you know, it's really, it's, it's a game. We, it's hard to explain to people, but it can be boring because for the mechanics, you work on the same car every day. So it's all about procedure. So really, you don't have to be the best mechanic in the world. You've got to be passionate about it. You've got to have a photogra- photographic memory of how things go together, how things get pulled apart, and then go back together again the right way. So, you know, I suppose if the guy's a plumber... But he's got the right attitude to be a mechanic and a race mechanic and and um he can be the best race mechanic in Pit Lane, he doesn't have to be um, a mechanic. I suppose that's the way we look at it. And we have in the G T scene we used to have two full time staff and about ten part time guys and it was air conditioner mechanics, there was, you know, the electricians, it was office workers, there was real estate agents. We'd all come away racing and you would have thought we we're all professional race.
0: More from Barry Ryan right after the break. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. And through
4: the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task.
3: We uh, were able to beat the 2 to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, but, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and family.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars.
4: James White, who did this chassis for you. I know every time I go down to the garage, and even on Sunday night, I was down in the garage, and they were pulling uh, Dale Wood's car apart, doing a tech inspection. But what has James White been able to do with this chassis, and how many chassis has he done before? Well, he built in
3: 2003 all the Larry chassis, Larry Perkins chassis, or 2002 I think so. So he did all those, it would have been five or six chassis there, and then all the Nissan's um, I think all the Nissan's, even up to the latest one, uh, Rick debuted and Darwin, I think it was. I think he'd built, yeah, he built, had built all them, and now our chassis. So he's built a lot.
4: I know Dave he's wanted a start. really light, low chassis, and he, he certainly achieved that. Yeah, there's not much you can do different. I think it's just his um, attention to detail
3: compared to um, others. Is probably, you know, there's, there's no question about what, what he does. And it, it's really you can't really build the center of gravity on but you can just make everything a bit nicer and
1: can not even make it any
3: lighter because everything's got a spec. But he he TIG welds everything. He doesn't MIG weld anything, so you can save weight there. And some people believe that's good, some believe it's bad, but
2: you know, well, we're happy with it. Indeed, um, the the race itself um, being wet for so long, you must be getting to a thought. You're getting to a point where you're going to start running out of wets.
3: Um, well, not really, because I think we, we pitted a bit later than some people had a half-stint strategy in the first didn't. We saw how much they struggled when they went out the gate on cold tyres. So um, a lot of the day, we tried to avoid putting cold tyres on the car. if We didn't need right. to. So when it was really wet and the tyres weren't wearing out, we were just keeping the hot tyres on and putting fuel in, changing drivers and going again. So yeah. we didn't have those two or three laps of massive risk and
2: slow lap times. Yeah. We didn't really see you running out of size because of that. That worked well for us. One of the things that stood out as a television watcher this year, I didn't didn't make the mountain, but was, I thought, it was an extremely high standard. Sure, you know, Garth and James Moffat and Shane and uh, Mark Winterbottom and number had chunts late in the race. But for the vast majority of the race, the overall driving standard, I think, was possibly the highest has ever been about Bathurst 1000. Your experience of that, you're looking at it, watching closely?
3: No, I agree. Like, I think a high standard of driving because if the driver's made errors, they didn't take someone out or it was probably making an error because of the high standard because to try and pass someone was, it's so hard because the guy you're trying to pass is an exceptional driver. So, And yeah. obviously it makes it harder too when you can't go offline if it's half dry or even a small dry line, yeah. you've got to take a massive risk to, to pass someone, and, uh, and the guy getting passed was good enough to see that you're not going to make the corner, so he would get out of the way almost, when well, you run off, and you both sort of end up going the merry way, even if they run off the track. They didn't crash into
2: each other. There were a number of calls, I thought, that seemed late from uh, the officials. Um, the penalty given to Mostert. Um, sometimes, I mean, you know, the rock, okay, well, it, it didn't look like a large rock, but certainly one that could damage a car and be thrown up on another car. So that was valid. Do you think the overall stewardship of the race was well done or do you think, did you have some questions on it?
3: We didn't get a penalty, so I was really happy with it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't even know what that last exit car was for. All I cared about is it was going to save us a little bit of fuel we might need. So I, I honestly didn't know it was for a rock on the track, was it?
2: Yeah, there was a small rock. Oh, yeah, yeah that this guy's rock.
3: I haven't had a chance to watch it yet either, so um, yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah, so I don't know whether that was late or. or and the Mustard thing, I just saw it and thought, oh, he's going to get a penalty. And I suppose it did take him a little while, but they, they did say they're going to be, it's going to be very, very clear to give someone a drive through this year. So yeah. I think they just did that homework and made sure it wasn't going to come back and bite him.
4: What about um, Simona's car? it was on the track for a long, long time on the racing line before that safety car was thrown.
3: Yeah, I think, but you get a clear view when you come out of the corner. It wasn't a blind corner, so they they couldn't have left it there for the rest of the race, but I don't think they needed to call it any earlier. I think it was probably allowed Tim to make sure that when he did call it, it wasn't going to be called in a spot where it was going to, Possibly confuse himself or the drivers. Mm. So I think he, I'd imagine he's probably taking his time and going, right, where's the leader? Or we'll get this caught right. And he's got the call right because it wasn't dangerous.
4: One thing's for sure Dave's restart was impeccable.
3: Yeah, I think you know, people think he's just this joker and a bit of a and not very smart, but he saw what Shane did on that restart before, and he didn't get prompted by that. I was to, said to him, obviously, you know, remember your restart, you know, don't run wide, whatever. But Davis just thought, well, way to not go too deep in the last corner is go in there slow. So, yeah, he was very smart on his behalf.
4: And he gapped them by about three-tenths at the end of Mountain Straight.
3: Yeah, again,
4: he came out of turn
3: one he made sure he didn't get on the exit turn, which a lot of people did, and Soon you got an exit curve, you lose traction, which loses speed up the straight. So again, very smart, breaking a little bit earlier into the corner, so he got out really well. And he got that gap that he wanted to make sure nobody tried anything desperate in turn two or the cutting.
4: At what point so did you think it. it was yours? Sorry? At what point did you think the win was yours? Um
3: I think once he he got that gap on that lap. I thought I was going to catch us from here because we, we knew if it was a dry race, the only person who was going to beat us was Car Seventeen because we had the speed from the first practice session. So pretty much, once he got that little gap, and I saw the dry line, it wasn't going to rain again, and we had
2: enough petrol. I thought, well, we got this, we got this one. They stumped the brakes; it's out. You had didn't have any uh, problems with brake pads and rotors uh, cracking. Yeah, yeah there, there certainly were a number who were fairly busy up and down Pit Lane uh, doing the last minute uh, on Saturday work. Yeah, yeah, and that was all good for our, our car. Right. Um, One thing that was very different for you this year was I understand that Loretta was with you. Yeah. Is that her first?
3: Yeah, for, the, for Bathurst, yeah. She's, well, she came come a couple of years ago when we were running youths. She used to do a bit of catering for us. and. I suppose she for a lot of years in my career she's never come to the races wasn't really interested yeah well, she, she was interested in what I was doing but I think it's what made us has made us last nearly 20 years and 25 years this year that um she she was happy to keep a distance let me have my career and, and not get involved but you know, I, I sort of pushed her to do a couple of races to you know, cause I don't know'm i a better person when she's around so it kept me a lot more calm as it was I don't know. It's just different when you you partner there that you you've lived with for a long time
2: and you you love and she, um, yeah, it was great to have her there and she. Yeah, I can imagine. It must have been a wonderful thing to be able to share it. She said to me last
3: year and last week actually, um, you've got to win this before you stop doing it. <laughs> she goes, I want to make sure I'm there for it. And I said, Well, you're coming this year then. And we only decided last week that she's gonna come and help and help the commercial department a bit and help with a bit of catering and kept everybody fed and and um having you know, having drinks and whatever the crew. So she works here two days a week as a receptionist, so she sort of knows all the, all the guys here, so yeah. She's in, yeah. I've always had to, I've always said don't bring sand to the beach but um yeah, I've sort of made the exception with her because she actually
4: <laughs> helps. Penrite had a huge presence too there, Barry, so uh, it's a good time to win when you've got all the uh, sponsor and all the on the associates there in front of you.
3: Yeah, it was great. You like, can still see Toby Diamond standing down there under the podium. Toby's a, um, one of the family owners and you know, basically called the shots at Penrite. He was standing there with his Penrite flag with tears and he died. And, yeah, he was, he was stoked and they had a massive presence there and, yeah, he's he's so passionate about his brand being Australian and that's, you know, it's where the Australian flag on the, under the emblem comes from. And,
1: you know, we, we
3: use all the products we use in the car you can buy off the shelf at, um, at you know, local auto stock. So it's another thing they're proud of. We have got special wind engine oils and transmission oils. They're, they're off the shelf, Australian made items.
2: And tell me, um, how have the, both the cars pulled up? You've got, you know, a short time to turn around for Gold Coast? Where are you at with them? They're
3: good. Um, supercars um, technical are here today, and well, they spent still about eleven o'clock Sunday night going over a car, and you know they're they pulling our car down to a million bits, so it's, it's going to make it tough to turn around and try and get a day off before we go to the Gold Coast. But you know the engines coming out, the engine gets set up to technical with the exhaust. We don't even have a spare exhaust, so we've had the big borrow and steel off Wollongong Shore to get us spare exhaust. Um, It gets run exactly how we ran the race, with the airbox engine, uh, exhaust, everything on it. They dyno it to make sure it's under where it's supposed to be. And then they call um, call it apart to me and bits and send it back in the box.
2: Right. Which is another aspect of uh, how well the team did, in that Walpenshaw provide an engine, and quite obviously you've got a very good uh, engine straight out of the box from them.
3: Yeah, it was really good. Like we we're, we're so happy with our relationship with Welcome and
2: we're stoked for them
3: to have three Welcome engines in the first four cars. So you know, for yeah. their engines, um, they do an exceptional job, and we get no question that Stock Pie's engine or James Courtney's engine is better than ours. We, we don't even question that because it's crystal clear that they're they're the same. And if they're not, I don't care
2: because. They give us a good in yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, obviously in the wet conditions, uh, ultimate power is not vital, but uh, no stage, and particularly at Sandown, you could see that no-one was jumping away. Certainly the forwards are, appear to have a little edge a very small edge.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's so much down to how you come off the corner. Like we really focused this year on um, Forest Elbow and Turn 1. If you, you don't come out of those two corners all of a sudden the engine will be blamed. The driver will be saying, When are we putting another engine in? Happened years and years and years.
2: Yeah.
3: With my experience with this year we look really strong because we got this born
2: Your motorsport introduction was from your father, wasn't it?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, The week he tells me the week I was born I was at the speedway on the Saturday night, so <laughs> um, yeah, that's where it started
2: and 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 he's still involved?
3: Yeah, he, uh, up till last year, he was driving our GT truck for us. And this year, he's actually going to drive or double the truck back from the Gold Coast for us because we've got such a short turnaround to New Zealand. Yep. He's going to fly up and drive the truck back with our truck driver so they can legally get it back in a day on the day. Yeah, so. All right. So he, he turned 70 last week, so he's, but he's still very active and
2: still loves being in goal, where he can. And every time I see him, he's as happy as Larry. Yeah, I know. When you get to
3: his age and you're still fit and you play golf every day or every second day and you get mess around in the racetrack whenever you want. Well, yeah, hopefully I can do that when I'm 70
2: years of age. OK, so now apart from uh, getting the cars prepped or back together again after uh, technical and pull them apart, apart from that and trying to get some time off for your boys, are there any particular things for the Gold Coast you have to do?
3: Um, No, not really, no. We we were really strong there last year, and that was Alistair's second round with us. Yep. So, you know, that person's the only round where it was the second round for him, or second year. So, based on what we've done at that round, and now Alistair knowing what he did at Gold Coast, you know, like Townsville this year, based on last year, we went good there, but it is different when you're an engineer coming back And somebody else ended it the year before. So I think Gold Coast we're going to be really, really strong because Al knows what he did last last year there. He knows what his his picture is for this year, which he's been doing a really good job of. Yeah. So I I think yeah, I think we can follow on from that and have
2: a real good track of it. Well, yeah, it certainly bodes well given the uh, speed you had uh, the rest of the year. Yeah. And of course um, Luke knows the track well, having done it for some years. So. It uh, is a good indicator that you uh, could well finish up high or even uh, at the top of the uh, Pertec Enduro Cup. Yeah,
3: well, that's a target now. Well, why not? It, it could be a realistic target for us. And every time Luke's driven the car this year, co-driver sessions, test days, he's, he's been really fast and you know, top five at least, the co-driver. You know, people, people didn't get to see what he actually did at first in that co-driver session because he got a red flag just, you know, two seconds before he came across the line. Yeah,
2: he actually did a 5-5 five, five in the co-driver session. Yeah, was, given the seat he had, yeah.
3: Yeah, so that didn't sort of get shown, but you know, I suppose in a way it was good didn't see how strong he was going to be. Mm.
4: Were we one co-driver session short this year, do you think, Barry?
3: No, I think we had much practice. Like, we had more practice we I mean, did. Six and a half hours practices practice something to be a was stupid, so I just think
2: it dragged on a bit too much. Well, of course, Gary Rogers is well known for his um, uh, turn up on Saturday for Bathurst, uh, run a practice session, then qualifying in the race on Sunday. Um, maybe a bit more than that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think
3: he could have had yeah, three practice sessions. One of them was definitely co-driver and the other two were shared and that would be enough, just like we had it been there. Yes. Well, it's time to get to practice six, and they've all pretty much been an hour. It's like, this is a bit too much.
2: Well, it's wonderful to uh, have seen Erebus and yourself, Dave Reynolds, Luke, and uh, have that success. I mean, it's just wonderful. And the fact that you were there right from the very first practice session, throughout the three, four days, at no stage was the uh, car nine and 99 obviously was not uh, in the top ten qualifier but just sure, steady work and not making mistakes.
3: Yeah, exactly yeah, you know, the best thing about the race is we can have a good positive feel out you know, it was a genuine win, it wasn't because we lucked into it, we class fast mm. on the way. and yeah, we just. it so some, sometimes victories can be a bit hollow because you sort of know you didn't deserve it but I think we can 100%
2: pat ourselves on the back and say we deserve that. Indeed you can, and many should, many should. I look forward to catching up with you, Barry. It's wonderful to have had you on the show and I look forward to seeing more success in the Gold Coast. So thank you from Inside Supercars, Craig and myself, and congratulations yet again, and go and enjoy that and at least have a, a, a drink or two on it. Yeah, thanks, guys. After this break, we'll come back with our final thoughts and it's certainly wonderful to
0: get that insight into the management of Erebus and their race win. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And,
3: you know, every every
0: year I see Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself... of of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
3: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. And you're
4: listening to Inside Supercars.
2: Your final thought after a weekend of motorsport in Mount Panorama.
4: My final thought is... Isn't it amazing? Every time a car crashes, it's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands worth of damage. When an engine blows up, it's a $2 part.
2: Maybe lots of $2 parts, but $2 parts, right. (laughs) Well, my final thought revolves around the uh, Bathurst race and what a great race it was, as is the title of that event. It was wonderful uh, to see. Such high television ratings, I understand the uh, the last hour was as, as, as good as you could almost get there, but it was strong all day. It was the second largest crowd they've had on the mountain after, I think it was uh, Peter Brock's final year there, and it was fantastic driving. It was one of the things that stood out watching it. Sure, there were half a dozen drivers who had accidents in a couple of turns. No big ones, thank God. No cars being totally destroyed. But the great thing was it was in those early laps, well not early, it was uh, through to the first safety car. There was some fantastic driving in those conditions. To be driving so competitively, so closely without people going off and putting other people off was wonderful to see. It also showed that there was great skill in in the management of the race by all the team managers, and great preparation by all the engineers and the mechanics because while there were failures by the two points leaders going into the event in the Penske car and the uh, 888 car and having top-end failures, I think there were valves or rockers or those sort of things, the majority of them, very few mistakes made with fingers. Very few of those things that have stopped in the past cars at a great rate. The 11 o'clock start, I'm not sure of. Um, There are obviously reasons why they do it. But it was a wonderful event. I'm so pleased to have spent the time to watch it. And I hope that uh, we'll get a, as good an event. Well, it won't be as good because it's not a track that's as good as Map Panorama. But it'll certainly be a, a great event up at the Gold Coast in two weeks' time. Craigs, it's goodbye from me.
4: And it's good night from him.
0: Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au.